0: Emily, what is the rule of law?
1: I don't know. What the hell is the rule of law? I guess that we all have to follow the rules. Um, maybe? I don't know. Civics,
2: A political conversation for all of us. Hey guys, it's Noelle. So, some things have come up in my life that make it hard for me to join the conversation every week. You know, because it's 2020. I am still a part of the show behind the scenes, and I will be rejoining the conversation from time to time. I wasn't able to participate in the rule of law conversation, but it did come up when Emily and I first took the naturalization practice test together. That was the day after the 4th of July, when we were first brainstorming ideas for a podcast. Apologies for the rough sound. We were just practicing, but it ended up being a fun conversation. What is the rule of law? A, all laws must be the same in every state. B, everyone must
1: follow the law. C, everyone but the president must follow the Please screen
2: cap this. <laughs> you know, I did not expect this test to have such a
1: personality,
2: <laughs> right?
1: Oh my gosh! Okay, yeah, I'm working on that. Um, hold on one second. I have an old computer, so it's like hold on one second. I'll do it in a second and finish. Okay, and then the last one, D. Government does not have to follow the law. Ooh, that is a loaded. Um, mm-hmm. that, is,
3: that is pretty loaded. Here's the okay. best
1: answer. I know that so far. Just like I love that the possible answers are like the best part of this test so far. Um, okay, so I'm pretty sure that that is B, everyone must follow the law. But I will say in my lifetime, I have, um, I have seen, you know, empirical evidence that, that it's not the case.
2: <laughs> okay. yeah. Alrighty.
1: It occurred to me that it's, it was very possible that I or another native-born, quotation marks, citizen, might struggle with the naturalization test. I was honestly not sure what was on it or what it involved. And so when we thought about doing this podcast, I was like, let me go see what this test is all about. And I started becoming pretty obsessed with it. Well, first of all, I don't think it should be called the naturalization test. I think that that's like violence and language already at, at its core, just in what it's called. Because, you know, even if we were born here, in many ways, many of us are not Native, and the idea of being made natural versus having been an alien is just kind of very gross language to me. I was already kind of thinking along those lines, but that came up when I was having a conversation with a friend of mine whose dad had been naturalized, and we were just sort of talking about how not friendly that language is, and how for most of us, our, somebody came here. Somebody was an immigrant at some point in our history for a lot of us in the United States. So we should maybe have a friendlier name for the, for the naturalization test. So I am going to be referring to it from here on out as the new citizens test. It just seems a little bit more neutral and friendly. And it turns out it's a really interesting test. You can take practice versions of it online Noelle and I took it together when we were practicing for the podcast and neither one of us did as poorly as we thought we would, but it was the, the practice tests are multiple choice. And even though you can kind of see how some of the answers would be would be right in some cases and we each had kind of our weaknesses, like it turns out that I don't know a whole lot about the House of Representatives is kind of my weakness, but also a little bit of the judicial branch. We did We did pretty well. We did surprisingly well. But then when I did some digging, I discovered that the way you practice it, the practice tests are in a different format than the way that you would be given the new citizen's test um, in order to become a citizen. So you have the same number of questions. You have 100 questions that you could be asked, right? So you have to know the answers to as many of those as possible. In the practice test, you get um, asked a random assortment of 20 of those 100 questions and you have multiple choice answers to choose from. So it's relatively easy, and um, you'd have to get, I think, more than three wrong in order to fail the test. It's, so it's pretty generous. But in person, when you take the test, uh, this kind of surprised me, it sounds like it's a verbal test that you're in a room with um, the, the test, the person giving you the test, and they just verbally ask you 10 questions. And that might seem easier, But if you think about it, it's going to be harder because you have the same number of possible questions you could be asked, and yet you have fewer opportunities to get it right. And also it's not multiple choice. Um, So as somebody who has really bad recall... I can imagine that I would really struggle with that test. Like even if I know the answers to the questions, I would have a hard time recalling the names or the dates in the moment. And then if you factor in that, if English isn't my first language, you're also being tested on English as part of the new citizen's test, you may get nervous. Or if the person asking you questions has like a mean affect or it makes you feel rushed, you may, you know, you may get nervous and it may be harder to pass than it would seem like at first glance but it's a definitely a really interesting exercise to take the practice tests and i highly recommend it i'm going to pull out the summary of the from the naturalization test so there's like something about john adams and then apparently he said our country is a government of laws and not of men no person or group is above the law the rule of law means that everyone citizens and leaders must obey the laws and in the United States, the US Constitution is the foundation for the rule of law. This kind of makes me think about the text that you texted me a couple of days ago.
0: I asked you what did you think about the Stormy Daniels scandal as it related to the fitness for presidential office?
1: Yeah. I think that actually has something to do with the rule of law. What do you think?
0: And what what way? Explain that to me.
1: So I mean our current president like underwent an impeachment trial. Right. And now I don't even know what happened anymore. It's like so many things have happened. He was impeached, right? He just wasn't removed from office. No, he wasn't was impeached. impeached. Okay. So he was impeached by the house, right?
0: Right. Correct.
1: But then the Senate has to decide if he gets removed from office and that didn't happen. Right. So left and right, this president seems to do things that don't necessarily seem legal. And we don't seem able to hold him accountable. And then the, I think the way that relates to Stormy Daniels is when you asked me what I thought about the Stormy Daniels scandal, I think that I, like a lot of people, initially thought, oh, that's a sex scandal. I don't really care about presidential sex scandals because it mostly just seems to be a way of denigrating women that have little or nothing to do with whatever the issue is that we're you know, actually talking about but aren't talking about. And I think then once I like read something to remind myself what the Stormy Daniel situation was about, it's not really about sex, but because she was an adult film star and had an affair with the president, of course the illusion that it's about sex is there, but really it's about money and power. Like you tell me what is the Stormy Daniel scandal? Like, first of all, it has her name and not his. So what is the scandal?
0: So Allegedly, (laughs) President Trump had an affair with Stormy Daniels, the porn star, and paid her money to keep it quiet. Now, I agree with you that sex scandals, I feel like, are none of the public's business. You know, to me, that's between the person and their family. And if their family is cool with it, hey, I'm cool with it. But in this particular case, the president, or I guess he was a candidate at the time, paid money out of, I believe he paid it out of his campaign, which is illegal. So that's a little different. That becomes uh, open for public discussion, I believe.
1: So essentially, what I'm understanding is, is that Stormy Daniels had a consensual relationship with the president in 2006. There seems to be some sort of implication. I think most people feel like because she's a porn star, probably she was paid for sex. Even she was, she was paid for this relationship in one way or the other. But that relationship, well,
0: she said she was paid. She said she was paid for the for the sexual relationship.
1: But that was when he was a private citizen for that relationship. But then when he was a candidate for the presidency. He wanted her to sign an NDA and paid her, through an intermediary, $130,000 to sign an NDA and not talk about their relationship. And then this came out, it seems like she would have violated her NDA if she brought it up, but this came out because of the campaign finance part of it.
0: Okay, so Cohen pleaded guilty to eight charges, including a campaign finance violation for his role in in the payment. He implicated Trump, saying that he acted in coordination and at the direction of a candidate for federal office. So the common cause complaints with the Justice Department and the Federal Election Commission claimed that Trump violated campaign laws by not publicly disclosing the $130,000 payment to the Federal Election Commission. Ah. But either way, once it becomes uh, an issue of campaign finance violation, then it's a public matter.
1: Well, and the interesting thing is about it is that it wouldn't, I mean, it would have come up, but it wouldn't have been like illegal necessarily that he'd had this affair with her. It was in paying for the silence that he actually committed the...
0: Not even the paying for it, because if he had paid for it out of his own pocket, then there's still no issue. Mm. The issue is that he used or you know, allegedly used campaign money to pay off his mistress, Mm. which is is not allowed like if it if if it had just come out of his own pocket then there's no problem
1: but in order to prove that it came out of his own pocket he has to like then violate sort of the conditions of his own nda potentially and because he paid her to be silent about the thing and the method by which he paid her now there's all this discovery about the thing he wanted her to be silent about hello megan it's so nice to hear your voice nice to hear from
2: y'all Hey, guys. So I follow Megan Romer on Twitter, and I saw her tweets about Hurricane Laura relief efforts and, well, just organizing in general, and thought we could have a great conversation with her about all of that stuff. Emily and Megan chatted recently, and y'all, Megan is as cool as we thought she was. Honestly, organizing feels
3: a little bit silly when you start doing it. Like, what am I organizing exactly how is this different from just like being a pta mom or being on the party planning committee at work and you know you like maybe do some organizing around an issue and it still feels silly because like (laughs) it's not like they're really going to give us these demands we're swimming against the tide or you do a little tiny aid thing and it's so much work and it maybe feels good but you're like "Mm, okay it wasn't that big of a deal and then boom a big thing happens a disaster a violent or cruel action by a government agency or corporation, an act of obvious injustice, a severe need of some sort, and suddenly it's like, click, 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 we know how to do things. So go organize around getting a statue taken down or for public bathroom facilities in a park where a lot of people experiencing homelessness hang out, or be futile and organize around something that you know your political entity won't pass. That's fine, too, because when it happens, you're organized. Imagine that. This took me a very long time. If you got there faster, congratulations.
1: I love the way you read that too. That's just incredible. I'm going to borrow some questions first that Noel sent me because she really wanted to be here um, in the interview with you, but she actually has to be at work today. So the first question that, that Noel has for you
3: is um, what does good citizenship look like to you? That's a great question that I'm not sure has one answer. You know, I think, I think the sort of ideal kind of world that one would want to build is one where everybody kind of contributes as they are able and takes steps back when they need to. But in general, I think good citizenship is paying attention as much as you are able, understanding that some people have trauma and various personal outlook things that make attention paying difficult. You know, don't pay attention to the point that you give yourself anxiety or stress or harm yourself in, in severe ways. I do think that it's very reasonable to ask everyone to vote or consciously not vote, but don't not vote because you couldn't get around to it. If you want to suspend your vote or withhold your vote for to make a statement, fine, but come at that with intention. But I think for most people who are looking to be a more engaged citizen, voting is never, ever, ever, ever going to be enough and... Um, electoral politics are never ever 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 going to solve all of our our problems Mm. so you know find ways to get involved organize with someone organize with uh, whether it's formal organizations or affinity groups or just friends who you do things with do something so you say in one of those that thread of tweets that you were kind of late to organizing what
1: do you think is like the wake-up moment for you where you're like i can do
3: this When I first even started to hear the term organizing, it felt like this kind of buzzword. It's kind of vaguely heard it on the periphery for a long time. But after the 2016 election, there was a big push for broader organization on the left, as we sort of saw the catastrophe that took place and and how important organizing was, but everybody was talking about organizing, organizing, and I was like, "Well, I don't, I don't really even understand what that means. I don't understand how it's different from just volunteering or being on a committee of something or um, joining your place of worship's elder ruling kind of thing, or or your neighborhood association or whatever." I didn't really understand organizing as this unique thing you know, in, in some ways, I'm not sure it is really a unique thing. I don't think that organizing from a leftist perspective is is different, really, from being on the party planning committee. It just, it's the same basic skill set, learning to get comfortable on the telephone again, which people especially I'm in that like, what are we called early millennials, old millennials, late millennials, Xennials, <laughs> whatever. I'm in that little gap group, the Oregon Trail people, <laughs> where we hate the phone, right? We're like hardcore phone haters. And like, Personally offended when people call us. So, you know, learning how to use the phone again, that kind of stuff. Learning how to keep your networks logically organized in such a way that you can, if you need to contact people really quick, rock through a list of people. Learning how to handle information. Learning how to use Google Sheets. All these different things. You may have seen actually on Twitter, there was a group of us joking about New Orleans DSA in particular is like wildly overrepresented with comedians and comics and and musicians touring musicians and it's like yeah because actually the skill set that you need to like plan an open mic is actually the same skill set as you need to plan disaster relief it's just scaled right so you know i was joking that like i came out of the music festival industry and it's like if we can just organize the tour managers we will you know win a better world like in half the time
1: that is brilliant like let's just go after like the people who like figure out how to plan events yeah (laughs)
3: large Mm -hmm. circus folk
1: carnies (laughs) do you want to sort of tell the story behind like the relief efforts that you're currently doing
3: sure so i'm involved with um DSA SWLA, Southwest Louisiana. Um, we're one of the more recently official chapters of DSA. I joined mm, a year and a half ago, maybe. I am very much a, like, I know my skill set. My skill set is the written word. I'm also a very good cook, so I'm a very good snack mom. I'm good at sort of back end, back end administrative kind of labor. And I've just in the past few days been talking to people about like the long term devaluation of back end labor and the way we're like, oh, sorry, I can't help with the real thing. I'll just make the spreadsheet. And like how important is that we stop doing that, that administrative labor is is feminized and therefore marginalized. And it's actually incredibly important to do Um, like writing a press release is a big job and it's not a smaller or bigger job. It's an equally big job to changing a brake light or whatever you're thing is so i'm trying to kind of own my pride in the fact that i'm a good back-end person and a good word person and a good snack mom about half of our members maybe not quite half are in the path of laura largely in lake charles but also spread out through some of the rural areas because this thing really cut through you know it came up through lake charles and then cut all the way up to you know through alexandria up to Ruston, shreveport like it It was tropical force winds all the way through Louisiana um, at a minimum. So there's damage all the way through. And with support from New Orleans DSA, a lot of which came out of, you know, so many people in New Orleans were radicalized uh, after the federal flood. And so we have a lot of advice from them. And that group did some work in the 2016 flooding, that random storm that had no name. And we're also working with Mutual Aid Disaster Relief, MATTER, which is a national, I guess, Gulf Coast-based, but national organization that does Mutual Aid Disaster Relief. Intentional, anti-racist, anti-capitalist, trauma-informed disaster relief. Um, So we paired with them really quick, got in a bunch of our friends from New Orleans, all sorts of people who maybe weren't affiliated with either of the DSAs, but who are you know, interested in this kind of work, in, in doing this kind of work from this perspective, as opposed to just kind of, you know, swarming in and telling people what they need. If
1: people want to get involved and they want to help, um, what is the best way, like for somebody from New York, like who might hear this to be like, I want to help, you know, Megan and those those great DSA folks, like, you know, with the Laura relief efforts?
3: Yeah. So if, um, you know, the best thing always, always is just to send money. Um, people want to send stuff and I totally get that. And, um, if you want to send stuff, that's great. If you look, uh, at either our Facebook page, um, the DSA SWLA Facebook page or at our Twitter feed, which is at DSA SWLA. We are not really very big. Like there are maybe 20 active members, And right now, half of those people are experiencing some degree of home devastation. Mm -hmm. So and the rest of us are like either assisting family and friends or we're doing this work. We don't really have time to like I think we have a bank account, but we don't have time to deal. Um, MADR, though, does have a system. So we're just saying... Everybody just send it through them. They are organized in a way to do that. And that's part of the thing that's so cool about our organization. It's like you can partner up with other groups who are already structured to do this or that or the other thing. Like they it's useful for them to know us because we know the scene on the ground. And it's useful for us to know them because they have a solar trailer and a bank account. So <laughs> so uh, if you find those pinned links, you will find a place to donate And then you will also find a place, uh, some Amazon lists. The empire is evil, but it is awfully accessible and gets us stuff here quickly. If you have uh, preferred other places to buy, there are some things actually that if folks can kind of scrounge up from elsewhere, we um, are finding that like tarps are almost all bought out everywhere we've gone. Um, We're just cleaning them out because there are, you know, I don't even know 50,000 roofs that need tarps now or something. So if you have like, whatever, some any given hardware store near you, and if you have a little group that might pass a hat around, buy a couple tarps, stick them in a in a box, and send them priority to us, or just order from wherever you can find them that will send them to us quickly online and have them sent to us. We are happy to if you if you DM us or PM us um, on Twitter or Facebook respectively, we'll get you an address to send stuff to. But, yeah, and, and then, of course, you know, people need hygienic stuff, personal care stuff, menstrual products, diapers, um, formula. A lot of people are, their house is intact, but they can't live there because there's no power or water. Definitely don't send clothes. That's a good, like, lifeless, never send clothing to disaster areas, ever. Nobody wants your clothes, which is not to be mean, but it's clothes are very hard to organize and distribute, My main job is that I am a supply hub person, so I'm collecting supplies as they come in and putting them on people's trucks and going on because there's still no mail in Lake Charles, I think, or if there is, it's sketchy. So it's actually best to have things sent here and staged here and then put on trucks and taken over there. So I'm one of the people here who's doing that.
1: Yeah, Yeah, your carport, right? Like I've seen the photos. um, Yeah,
3: Yeah, we moved the minivan out. (laughs) Pulled the minivan out, parked it in the yard, and uh, loading up the cardboard.
0: <laughs> My take on rule of law is um, a little different than yours. Um, mine comes from a more constitutional perspective. I believe Article 6 is the Supremacy Clause, which says that the Constitution is the supreme law of the land. But who gets to decide what is constitutional so the judiciary has in article three a number of powers and a lot of the powers that we see the supreme court holding today don't actually exist in the constitution so today the supreme court can overrule congress in terms of a law that they've that they've drafted and made into law ratified but the Constitution doesn't say anything about the Supreme Court having that power.
1: Where does that power come from?
0: So, all right, I don't want I don't want to get too much into the details of this case. But when we talk about judicial review, it goes back to a case called Marbury versus Madison. Marbury was a judge appointed by John Adams when John Adams was about to leave office. So he was a lame duck president. He was about to get out of office. And he just appointed a bunch of judges and the judges were all in place by the time he got out, except for Marbury. So when Thomas Jefferson came in as president, he tried to get rid of Marbury. Marbury sued and then the case was brought before the Supreme Court. So Marbury is a federalist. The chief justice of the Supreme Court, Marshall, is a federalist. Thomas Jefferson is a Democratic Republican. So these are political enemies. So what Marshall did was he essentially gave Jefferson the win in the case in order to establish that the Supreme Court had the authority to rule a congressional bill unconstitutional. That's the short version.
1: (laughs) So it sounds like they amended the Constitution without actually going to all the effort of doing an amendment.
0: Well, it doesn't say specifically who is supposed to determine whether something is constitutional. So he didn't necessarily amend it. He just established that he had the right to interpret it, that the Supreme Court had the right to interpret the Constitution.
1: But all following Supreme Courts have basically sort of abided by this ruling, right? So right. it has it has the like the force of law at this point right like and and whether and, and nobody remembers that particular case except for for folks like you right. who studied law and and pay attention to these things so like we all probably just assume that that's one of the rights given to the judiciary that they're like and our next episodes about checks and balances right so it does seem like because of checks and balances the judiciary the supreme court in particular should be able to overrule congress or the or the executive branch
0: and i think that's one of the reasons why judicial review is still in existence why the supreme court is still able to overrule congress overrule the executive because it fits in with the idea of checks and balances which is a fundamental american pillar
1: So what you're telling me, though, is that in essence, it's kind of like an amendment to or an addition to the Constitution, because it's in the spirit of the Constitution.
0: I am not saying that is an amendment to the Constitution.
1: (laughs) I mean, in effect, it is. I mean, in effect, it has the same weight as an amendment because everyone's just abided by it and sort of allowed the Constitution to sort of have been clarified. It's a clarification. That's what I was going to
0: say. I think I think of it more as a clarification of what is already written as opposed to an addition to. So since there was no specific enumerated doctrine that said this person or party or entity is responsible for interpreting the Constitution for there to be essentially an agreement amongst all parties involved that yes, it's the Supreme Court that gets the power of interpretation I don't look at it as an addition to the Constitution. I look at it as a clarification of the Constitution.
1: Well, I mean, that's splitting hairs as far as I'm concerned.
0: <laughs> that's what I mean, that's because... what law is all about. <laughs> that's what the law is all about.
1: <laughs> I know, but it's really interesting because, um, you know, it is so hard to pass an amendment to the Constitution and it takes so long in this day and age. It feels like it's a new thing to kind of like know the loopholes and to like somehow like work the system to your favor. And this is in the lifetime of John Adams. And he he was like, what our second president. Oh God. I hope I'm right. (laughs) (laughs) So this was like shortly after the constitution was like written and ratified and all of that. So it's still within the lifetime of the new country. Like the country is still new. It's like, and you know, it wasn't a tradition. It wasn't this like lofty, set of ideals that it is now that like, like it's so hard to change it now in part because it's so old and so much is is it's the bedrock of everything, but it, it wasn't even necessarily like it didn't have the force of tradition then, but they still, no. they still managed to sort of rewrite it through a loophole.
0: But you would have to imagine that once the document is written, once the uh, foundational doctrines are in place, then you have to actually apply it in practice, and then issues are going to arise, right? So you would have a number of these types of situations where it's like, okay, this is occurring, but we didn't actually address this in the Constitution, so how do we deal with it? And, I mean, we still deal with that now. I mean, that's why we still have constitutional questions to this day, because there are still aspects of our everyday life that aren't specifically enumerated in the constitution things like the internet could not have been conceived of by the founders so how do we deal with various aspects of the internet
1: yeah absolutely actually that was something else that i had written down in my notes is that there's this other weird question that doesn't quite seem to belong anywhere else that is on the naturalization test and it's the question right before the rule of law it's number 11 it's what is the economic system in the united states and you could either answer capitalist economy or market economy and get it right. And this is in the, the first part of the naturalization test, where it's all of these questions about the constitution and sandwiched in all of these like constitutional questions is a question about what economic system we have. So when you talk about like how the constitution doesn't necessarily address everything, like the internet, for instance, does the constitution specifically say that we have to have um, a capitalist economy?
0: No. No, it doesn't address that at all. Just off the top of my head, I think the only place that it talks about money at all is that Congress has the power to print money and it has essentially control over commerce. But no, in terms of the type of economic system that we're going to have, it it doesn't address it at all.
1: And I guess that this seems vaguely related in that the... um, (laughs) The current president is or has been for most of his life a businessman. And the fact that what we sort of like originally believed to be sort of a sex scandal is ultimately a scandal about economics, about how much money is, is being paid from which account at which time and whether or not that's ethical or legal. And that's all money. That's all commerce.
0: Yeah, well, that's that's kind of what our democracy has turned into. Right
1: a capitalist democracy
0: yeah i mean it seems like it's run less by the people in the executive and legislative branch and more by the people on the fortune 500 list
1: you know i was always wondering where we were going to talk about this but and we haven't prepared for it so maybe this isn't the time but i'm always wondering how like lobbyists fit into the government structure
2: yeah
0: i think we should probably cover that on another episode
1: (laughs) prepare a little bit um, more for
0: that (laughs) yeah well i mean there's there's a a lot to get into with that because lobbyists job is essentially to um, sway congress people to whatever cause or issue it is that you know they're representing at the moment a lot of that happens under the table so I don't know. We, we, we can get into it. We can get into it at another time, I think.
1: Maybe it is related, though, because if you go back to the the summary of the rule of law, the end of that summary says, if all people are governed by the same laws, the individual rights and liberties of each person are better protected. The rule of law helps to make sure that government protects all people equally and does not violate the rights of certain people. The way that that might relate to lobbyists or, um, or not is that you have these sort of professional political dealers whose job it is to sort of push agendas for the people they're lobbying on behalf of that may potentially like dissolve the rule of law in that you know theoretically like that's not necessarily serving the interests of all people
0: usually the people they're advocating for are corporations which somehow the Supreme court said can be viewed as people. (laughs) When you read that about what, what the rule of law is, I think of it more in terms of the bringing together the bonding of States as the United States, you know, because there was a period of time when each state was an individual entity and didn't see themselves as part of a broader coalition. In fact, two states went to war with each other. I'm trying to remember which ones, I think it was like Pennsylvania and New Jersey or something like that, Pennsylvania and New York or something went to war with each other at one time before the constitution. So the constitution was in part to bring all of these individual states together as one, one union and article four is, is a part of that with the full faith and credit and the privileges and immunities clause.
1: So that's that like period. I think it was like, what, 10 years after we um, won the Revolutionary War but before the Constitution was was written and ratified where we were like a new country and we had fought for our independence from Britain. we were unified in some things, but we didn't have a unified rule of law.
0: Right. Each state would tax commerce that would pass from one state through the border of another state things like that that it was essentially states were pitted against each other as two you know neighboring countries might be battling for resources battling for you know monetary supremacy but the idea of the constitution is that we don't need to battle with each other we don't need to compete with each other you know we're we're one we're we're one unified nation and that took some time
1: Hmm. Well, but coming at this from like, you know, because my focus is kind of this naturalization test, which I'm kind of obsessed with, right? This is the only place that I've seen this referred to, like in this term, rule of law. Is that something that you guys talked about in law school? Was that a term that was thrown around in law school?
0: Not that I recall, but that was about 20 years ago for me. So I don't really remember.
1: <laughs> well, it's just kind of interesting that theoretically the naturalization test is like the only place like even like it sounds like I didn't even learn about the rule of law even in civics unless I can find my actual textbook and see if it was in there or not so it's like this naturalization test is expecting immigrants to like know something by a term that is like never referred to in in like everyday life in America so it almost feels like a trick question and then I remember Kind of laughing when I answered this question, when I got this on the practice test, because I'm still fixated on the part of it that says no person or group is above the law, which is laughable because we've seen over and over and over again how people like, you know, can consider themselves above the law and can get away with that. And then also at the end, the rule of law helps to make sure that government protects all people equally and does not violate the rights of certain people. And then, you know, 2020 being what it is, I mean, we've, we've seen plenty of evidence that the government doesn't protect all people equally and that it does act actually violate the rights of certain people.
0: And so I think one of the underlying themes of this podcast will be that the Constitution is a great idea. It's great <laughs> theoretically, but has not always lived up to its uh, highest self
1: i guess how do we apply the rule of law when it's like a political idea that is only maybe sort of expressed in passing or in a different way as individual people we're sort of held to a higher standards than the, the members of our of our, our, our government how do we then like Apply rule of law. How do we? I mean, is it something that you think we can go around and start saying rule of law? Like we can impeach Trump due to rule of law, you know? <laughs> or, or you know, can we like maybe like bring another impeachment case against him for constitutional reasons? Uh,
0: I mean, that's that's a good question. The the Constitution laws are they're just words. It's just a piece of paper. They have to be enacted by people and people are fallible they form cliques and you know they have loyalties to to groups and other people that are sometimes contrary to what the rule of law is so I, really the constitution is as strong as we allow it to be which is why i said i'm not sure we can stand another four years of trump because the constitution is only as strong as the people who uphold it and if the people who are upholding it are supposed to uphold it are not doing their job then the constitution is just a piece of paper you you asked me how the rule of law can be i guess enforced what do you think
1: I think it comes down to revolution. I mean, what got us... Our original constitution was a revolution. You know, we fought the revolution and then like 10 years later, the great men ironed it out. We had to fight a war. And while I think it's regrettable, I think we're we're very militaristic in America. Maybe we won't have to fight like an actual war in the same sense that we did with the revolution. Maybe we will. But I think it's going to take a revolution. I think we have to hold our government accountable in the same way that the revolutionaries did? We've got to say, no, this isn't right. You're meant to abide by these rules, and we're going to insist that you do. And I think that might be what these protests are about, actually, is it's a form of revolution. Because if you look at the last part of the summary of the rule of law, it says that the government protects all people equally and does not violate the rights of certain people. And we don't see that in action in our lives. We see with the police, we see that they they don't always enforce the law equally or protect all people equally, as it says. And they do sometimes violate the rights of certain people. And I think that that's what these protests is about, is about saying we need to revolutionize, we need to redo our idea of policing. And I think that's at the core of so much of what we're sort of fighting a sort of revolution about right now.
0: Yeah, my earliest... Um, I guess memories of rule of law as uh, Confederates and you know white supremacists from the civil rights era talking about enforcing the rule of law against black people, um, enforcing Jim Crow, how we define terms, it changes as our society changes. So yeah, nowadays, we would have to look at cops we would have to look at police and we're trying to address that situation and and you know another 50 years or so it's going to be something else Um, but that's the nature of this republic that's the nature of society jefferson said god forbid we should ever be 20 years without such a rebellion and what country can preserve its liberties if its rulers are not warned from time to time that this people preserve the spirit of resistance. Let them take arms. The remedy is to set them right as to the facts pardon and pacify them. What signify a few lives lost in a century or two. The tree of Liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. It is its natural manure.
2: Thanks for listening to Civics, y'all. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Next time, join us for a conversation about checks and balances.
0: Oh, that'll be interesting.